Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas, and you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. So excited. This is Asul Taronis, your host here for Authors Who Lead. Thrilled today to have my dear friend, Jason Van Orden, who's going to be talking with us today. He's helped so many thought leaders that you probably know and trust. He's been a consultant and trainer and strategist from over 14 years of researching the top internet influencers and experimenting on his own. He has helped multiple successful brands launch over 60 online courses, teaches more than 10,000 entrepreneurs, generating seven figures online sales and 8 million downloads of his podcast, which is amazing. I first heard of Jason from my friend and mentor, uh, Pat Flynn, when Jason and a co-host had Internet Business Mastery. And so much of his work is influenced by great leaders like Jason. Jason was one of the original pioneers out there in the podcasting world back in 2005 when gosh, so few people knew what a podcast was. There was Jason being ranked as one of the top podcasts in the business in the world, ranking iTunes in the top 10. So, so glad that he's here. Jason, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, so thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no, it's so great. We first got connected in London at, I don't even know if you were at the event for Youpreneur with Chris Ducker, but I remember after Yeah, I was at the event too. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, that we met, people were going for dinner and that was really great. And the thing that, I, that struck me as I was telling you before is just how, how welcoming you are as a person and how, how you make, obviously the connections you make are, are rich because of your personality. So thank you for one, being that kind of person. Because when you meet people or hear of them online or listen to their show, and then you meet them in real life, you always want it to be the thing that you hear from the other side of the, the radio. So thank you for being that person. Well, it's so nice of you to say, and I, I do appreciate that feedback. I, I've had the opposite experience and it is kind of uh, a little bit dis... Uh, and it's a little yeah jarring when you're like, oh, wow, I thought you were maybe a, a nicer person. <laughs> and I think one of the greatest compliments is when somebody does say something like that. It's like, yeah, it's just like I, you know, you are online in your content and stuff. So I appreciate that. Yeah, you are you. That's great. I'm so thrilled because so many people who listen to this are leaders. Uh, they have a book or they're an author or there are multiple books in their queue. Because we're going to talk and focus our conversation on this notion of thought leadership, and which I'm really excited to talk about. And one of the things that we discussed off air was just this notion of like standing out, positioning yourself and messaging so that you can get through the noise. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that as we dive into that. Let's talk about, before we talk about the topic, I'm just priming the, the listeners. You grew up in Alaska. Where in Alaska and what was the, the road to get you to New York? Because now you're in the city. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've lived quite a few places. My dad was a little bit of a wanderer and he'd get bored and then we'd find a reason to move somewhere. But I did grow up quite a bit in Alaska and just a fantastic, beautiful place. And I ended up there because when my dad was young, he fell in love with it when he traveled up there once and he just always wanted to go back. He was an educator and he ended up uh, you know, getting a job up there. And so, yeah, my young elementary years, I remember, you know, dark, dark winters, <laughs> cold, cold winters, and beautiful, <laughs> light, light summers. But yeah, somewhere along the line, I think it might have been the first time I went to Paris and spent some time in Paris. I just like, oh, big city. Okay, this is cool. I like it. You know, metros and landmarks and people and interesting culture. And then uh, I had a family member that lived in New York City. I visited once and I was like, okay, this New York City, equally awesome. And I, that's it. so that's when I was like, okay, I think I'm more, I mean, I can be happy more remote where I grew up or I can be happy big city. But right now I'm definitely more of a, a big city person. All right. Well, that's, that's great that 
Uh, I know I feel that way too. I could live in a small little village, which I, we, Steve and I, my husband, who's also in Authors Who Lead organization, we have a little place in Portugal, which is a little, small mm. farming village. Yeah. And when we're there, it's so great. It's quiet. There's no cars at night. You could see the stars. But I also love when I go to the city, I love the city, mm-hmm. everything about it, the life and the noise and the action. So I get, I get that quite a bit. So, so you, you also had a situation, nice mix. I'm not complaining at all. <laughs> so you have also an interesting background is that you have a degree in jazz guitar, which is the perfect mm-hmm. degree for a internet marketing genius. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. What, what was your like path to become a musician and how does that influence now what you do? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in, I've been in bands and played, well, I've been in like played saxophone since I was in fourth grade. And then somewhere along the line, my mom started teaching me guitar and I absolutely loved it. So I switched over and then I actually went at first to call to, to university. I started studying engineering and I, I have an electrical engineering degree as well. But I, I think already my early restlessness about my career was kind of settling in. I'm like, I don't want to just go be an engineer. And it turns out the school I went to had one of the best guitar educators in the nation. So I started taking his classes and next thing I knew it kind of turned into a two year jazz guitar degree as well, because I wanted to work in the music industry. And my first and only job out of university was working for a company that made, you know, these guitar pedals you see guitarists use up on the stage in front of them, like, you know, stamp on one of those pedals. And now it's, you know, distortion or, you know, the edge in the U2 has this like, you know, cool echoey sounds and stuff. Right. And that was fun, but it lost its luster very, very quickly. To answer your question about how that led me into marketing uh, and business, I learned that I am good at marketing and enjoy marketing because of my bands and realizing, hey, if people are going to listen to my music and come to my shows, I need to know how to market. And that's where I first started building sites, learning about email marketing. You got to have an email list. And I know that would have been 2000 to 2004 that I was learning that stuff through my bands. And so then when uh, opportunities online started popping up, I, uh, yeah, I started applying everything I'd learned anew in, in other arenas and I've been a marketer in some way, every way, and an online content media creator ever since. Yeah, it's incredible. Everyone's path is different, but I love the fact that being a creator is the like kind of the heart of where this started. Uh, a lot of people that are here that are listening either write books or know that being a creator is in their heart. And sometimes the marketing gets in the way of them sharing the book. So many people use books as leverage if they're becoming a thought leader. How do we stand out in this very noisy place and position ourselves so that people pay attention to our message? Yeah, I know that's a concern for a lot of people who have ideas, stories, messages, expertise that they really want to share with the world. And just give a little perspective, I mean, perspective, yes, in the 15 years I've been online, it's gotten exponentially noisier. However, we still have 8 billion people on this planet. And I firmly believe it's that everyone with their their message and their idea, you know, there are people and problems out there that they are uniquely positioned to solve. And that's one of the big reasons I do what I do is I want to help people with these ideas, you know, thanks to the internet, with the, the opportunity that's there to grow that audience and find the opportunities and impact and income that, that they want. But yeah, so that eventually leads to the question of like, well, I feel like everyone's saying the same thing as, as me online, or even when I do say something I feel like is interesting, it feels like it just kind of gets lost. So it, it all starts with this, you know, positioning is, is what we call it in the marketing branding world. And that is knowing like, where do you sit in the marketplace? How do you want to be perceived? What do you want to stand for? And in fact, I break it down into three specific elements when it comes to positioning. And you need to be very clear on all three of these. Number one is just very simply like, who do you serve best? Who, who do you create value for most? Who, and that should also include who do you enjoy working with most? 
but uh, being very clear that you know my my strengths, my goal, goals for a legacy or impact or whatever it is that drives you really leads you to serve. Again, you're uniquely positioned to serve some segment of the world out there. Who are those people and knowing who that is? Second of all is being very clear about how you serve them. Now, I don't mean it's like, oh, well, I'm an author. I, I write. That's how I serve them. Or I, you know, I, I'm a speaker. I, I speak. That's how I serve them. And those are channels for the value that you provide to that, I'll call it audience that you, that you've decided you want to reach and help. But how do you serve them is more like, okay, being very clear about, okay, what are the outcomes that they want? What is it that I actually help them with the transformation they have thanks to my ideas? What, or what is it that they achieve? What are the goals they accomplish? The problems that are solved? The pains that are alleviated? And what is my unique process? Or we call it method, methodology for helping people achieve those things. And so the more that you formalize and are clear about what your signature method and process are, then it's very easy at that point to start slicing and dicing it as like, oh, okay, I can take a piece of this and that's a keynote when I get invited to do a keynote or, oh, hey, an overview of that process is what I'm going to write my book about. Or, oh, now I can go deeper and maybe have a digital course or somebody can hire me one-on-one to really, in a nuanced way, one-on-one support way, take them through that process. So who you serve and how you serve them are two of the really important things with positioning. And then there's just this element of who you are. And that is... The key to stand, 10 years ago, all you needed to be was relevant to stand out online. And that is to say that your content, your thing was relevant to some top of mind pain or problem and it solved that for people, right? And they could read your blog post and go, oh, that solves a problem for me. Yeah, the, the 10 ways to mitigate uh, my ADHD tendencies, great, that was helpful. Now you'll find a thousand posts like that, right? Or more mm-hmm. podcasts and everything. Right. So it's relevance plus resonance that's really important now. So that's the other piece that comes into positioning and resonance is about you know, what you believe, the vision you're trying to create, having people become part of something bigger than themselves when they do start following and subscribing to and supporting your ideas. It's, it's having this sense of purpose, but then communicating it in a way that is very compelling and clear to people. Because all the research says that consumers want to do business with people, businesses, organizations that have a real solid purpose uh, behind them. In addition, you know, it doesn't, you can make money too. That's not, no problem with that. But so it's, it's finding your voice, you know, maybe writers can resonate with that idea and, and then really leaning into that who you are piece in your positioning, because that's uh, as cliche as it might sound, nobody's like you. And that's, that's something people can't, can't copy. So positioning right. who you serve, how you serve them, and then who you are in that whole equation. Well, that's great. That's, that's a lot of what we, we, we teach as well is that, you know, I've described what you're saying is, is it, Particularly now, everybody's selling the same sunshine, right? Oh, I have a podcast about mindfulness. Well, there's a bazillion podcasts about mindfulness. What makes you unique? What lens you apply to it is what brings that resonance you're describing. So when you're writing a book, this is also true. And leaders need to show up in this way is how do I see the world that would make my uniqueness shine through the other people that could be doing something similar, which will change and transform them? in a way that says, oh, I really want to work with you because of the way you see the world or the way you've talked about these yeah. things. Who you are, how you make me feel, how you think. Yeah, those are, those are the things that amount to resonance, absolutely. Right, and so, so early on, so there's some people here who just maybe are thinking about writing a book or they're starting their book journey and they really get over hyper-focused on content. We're going to talk about content in just a moment, but they get really hyper-focused on content. And I say, content will, can easily be copied, but you can't. So always apply your lens. And that's what I think you're saying. And 
Get yeah. your signature process. Get the thing that makes you unique and clear so that people can't, they can't copy you. They can copy content that's sort of generic, but you are, you and your unique way of seeing it cannot be copied or replicated. And that sounds like what you're saying here. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when it comes to that signature method, it can be a very real thing, real thing that you give like a name to. And it might be derived of, I mean, look, I think we all know and authors know it's like they're going to write a book, but yeah, it's going to reference other books and it's, you know, it's going to build on ideas that are out there, but it's not like a book is going to be hundred percent original thought. And your signature method is a similar thing, but you know, you've got, here's a very simple, a couple simple examples is you've got Franklin Covey's, you know, seven habits. You've got Mel Robbins and her, her, uh, what is it? Five second role, right? And the, now she has a whole career off of that methodology and that idea. And now, you know, she can talk about how, what does it look like in different contexts and what's the research behind it and what's actually going on, how to start with it, okay, how to take it deeper, right? So even though it's a simple idea, it's something that she, she thought of and then she backed it up and she named it. And, uh, you know, Covey did that with his seven habits and that, that can, that can form an entire career when you've found and, and, and labeled your, put your lens on it and then even named your, your unique way of approaching a particular problem. Right. We had Richie. Norton here, and he mm, talked yeah. about, he's really close to the Covey family, and he talked about the idea of creating a sort of timeless principles that don't go away, that yes. don't become irrelevant. And yeah. uh, if you're ever interested, if anyone listening there, you can go to the authorswholeadsummit.com, and, and for free, you can listen to that summit. But he talks a lot about this, and he's done a great job in his world creating his book, The Art of Starting Something Stupid, Stupid, and you know, Stupid is the Pathway He Teaches. Uh, yeah. which is really unique. And that's true for people like Hal Elrod, who created the Miracle Morning, which is not new. He didn't create the, sa- the things that are in the Savior's method, which is his method for how to you know, have a great uh, life. But, but again, it's his positioning, his own voice, his own story, yeah. Yeah. and then making it a signature program. Well, and your story is, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because you're, and I, and I, I don't, I know you talk about it, so I don't need to repeat it, but your origin story is meaningful, impactful. It's like, okay, how did you discover this stuff that you want to talk about? Or have you been through this yourself before? You know, Mel Robbins, her book has her entire story and that's how she discovered the thing, the five second rule, right? Maybe you haven't been through it, but that there's still a reason why you have pursued this particular idea, this particular path. And at some point, you know, you had your Obi-Wan Kenobi moment where like, you know, they showed up and somebody shared something with you that shifted you or you discovered something, you stumbled across it and it's like, wow, okay, that's important. I want to be a champion for that thing. And that story is one that should be shared. Right. Absolutely. So this also brings the notion to the platforms and how to create content and then amplifies this. So let's, let's say, imagine you got clear, you got like the signature program. This is something I'm working on. So you're helping me right now as you do this is that we do have a specific method for teaching writing, which is the reverse of most uh, writing coaches and teachers of, of writing. And so the signature method, let's say we named it, we, we codified it in a really name, here's our plan, here's what it is. What platforms should we begin sharing content that has the most opportunity for content creators who are trying to share their message and stand out from yeah. the noise? So the way the internet works today, there are three principles that you need to keep in mind when it comes to your platform. Now, this is going to sound really simple as I name the three principles, but I want to go deeper on each of these. And that is consistency, authenticity, and decentralization. So what do I mean by that? Decentralization, let's start there. So again, 10 years ago, when things were much easier, you know, 2005, I started Internet Business Mastery. We were the first podcast about internet business, right? So it was a lot easier to stand out with that particular platform. And people would, you know, they would come to our show, come to our site. If, if you were a blogger, you probably had people coming to your site regularly and commenting on your site. You might notice these days, a lot of bloggers don't even have commenting. They've turned it off on their site. 
because right. people are now engaging with that content in other places, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it's, it's realizing that you, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying you should have your website and certainly all the content I make does end up there because I want a place where my body of work lives. And if a, a journalist stumbles across me or finds me somewhere and wants to go like, oh, what's this guy about? They can look at my writing and go, oh, it sounds like they got some ideas. Oh, maybe I'll quote him in my, right? So it's like that needs to be there. But right. in terms of gaining an audience and gaining attention, you need to be in all these, I don't want to say be in all these different places, be strategically choose them, but you need to, to have your content show up in many places. And I'm going to talk about an easy way to do that here in just a second. Authenticity, here's, I mean, that goes beyond just like be yourself. And what I mean there is choose strategies that feel authentic to you. I think so often like people ask me, what is the best channel right now? Is podcasting dead? Do I need to be on TikTok? Is Instagram the secret? Like, it's like, okay, wait, 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 wait. What works well for you when it comes to creating? And it's pretty simple. It's like writing audio or video, pick one, right? And, you know, maybe right. eventually you do a combination of them, but just pick one at first. And if sitting down and writing, I mean, we're talking to writers here. So I'm sure a lot of them are like, yeah, great. I can write. Not everybody wants to be on video. For me, I actually really, really love doing audio content and, and podcasting. So choose a format, choose a channel that then the channels that work for you, yes, you need to consider your audience and how they consume stuff as well. But I think too many people compare themselves to others, try to find that that secret or that outside validation of how they need to do it. And that leads me to the other thing, which is you got to be consistent. You're not going to be consistent if you haven't chosen a strategy that feels authentic to you. So let's just say you've chosen one of these. Uh, and I, I just started a new podcast. So I actually now have two primary channels. But for the last couple of years, I was really just focused on writing. And so, you know, I, to be consistent every week, I would write a new article and that would go out to my, my newsletter. And that one article would be the driver for the entire rest of my platform and content strategy. And I'll explain now how that decentralization doesn't need to be so daunting as it might sound. So every week I write an article in my newsletter that within a few days is on my website as a blog post because it just, it needs to be there. It also, some kind of quote gets pulled out of that and turned into a visual graphic using something like Canva. You, you might do this yourself or actually have somebody who does it for me very inexpensively. Also that if it's a, say a 1200 word blog post, either a portion of it or, you know, some editing down will turn into a shorter version that could be a post on LinkedIn. Not every article gets done that treatment, but sometimes uh, we do that as well. And then, so, so it's, it's all about syndicating, mm. you know. We got it. We're on a podcast here right now, and I hear a lot of podcasters are so frustrated. I'm in the directories. I'm in iTunes. Why am I not getting traction? Well, iTunes has very limited shelf space. It's it's not a great discovery engine. It's basically shining a light on the biggest brands. And if you want to be seen and heard in an audience, well, you know, transcribe that podcast and turn it into some other format. You know, maybe have a short video clip and get that on YouTube. So pick. What I tell people at first is, you know, do get that consistency down first. Every week you're writing something or recording an audio or recording a video. Then in addition to that, pick at first one other channels that you can resyndicate that to. Whether again, it could be a social media channel, maybe you're getting it onto medium, whatever that might be. And then add uh, another channel. But you're looking for a workflow that starts piecing itself together, but it's all driven by you just showing up and creating that one piece of content every week. And then the one other piece to this puzzle is what I call supplementary content. It doesn't all have to be you. You know, I talk about applying your lens to things. What else is out there that's of quality? Books, articles, like every newsletter I send out usually mentions one or two, like a quote or some other article I read. Here's why I liked it. Here are two quotes that were especially insightful for me. Here's the link if you want to read some more. You know, you can go and find all kinds of quotes on Goodreads that you can share on all kinds of topics. 
So it's being a curator of other content that then allows you to, you know, if you need to be on Instagram three times a week, great. You've got two of those times are some re-syndication of your content from that week and one other time is a piece of supplementary content. And now it becomes a little more manageable to be consistent, choose channels that are authentic, but then also just operate within the reality of people aren't going to come to your site, at least not until you're a much bigger brand. So you got to show up where they're already showing up. Right. You know, that's really helpful because it can be daunting. Oh, if you're on a social platform, let's say Instagram, and you're tooling around, you're looking, you're looking, you realize, oh my gosh, because the people you follow might be people you're inspired by or want to emulate. So you realize they're creating all this content. I should create all this content. And then you go to LinkedIn. They're here too. They're doing all these things. And you try to keep up and really it's, it's just becomes another kind of rat race where you're trying to, you know, be Gary V. Gary V has a specific strategy why he does what he does. And not everyone's Gary V or should they be? His job is to inspire. I think Char- Charlie Hohen, maybe you know Charlie as well, who used to work for Tim Ferriss. He wrote a post about TikTok and saying, you know, basically F TikTok. No one, not everyone needs it, right. but, but you need a purpose for it. And Gary V's purpose is he wants to connect and help all the young. 20 something entrepreneurs so that someday he can, you know, buy into their big thing they build. Like he's a really yeah. smart guy. He, yeah. But his purpose in doing that is much broader. So you have to be really thoughtful about what platform you're on and where I love what you said. Go where you really feel comfortable or you feel like that's a good place for you. You don't have to be everywhere. You could do an audio and record it and then have it go out as a graphic, go out as a video, go all these different things, but you don't have to do it all yourself. You can do it pretty cheaply. Yeah. Get one piece of good content and then just get all the mileage you can out of it. Yeah, that's great. Go create another one. Yeah. And be consistent. I think that's the other thing you said. So, uh, you know, when you think about this, a lot of authors, I I always encourage authors that when they come and say, I think I want to sell a million copies of my book. I say, great. Now think about something else you want to do because that's not not what's going to happen. And I'm not trying to squash their dream. I'm just being honest. They're like, that's not the way to build anything to say, I'm going to have one product and that one product's going to get me all this money. So let's talk about the multiple ways that you can leverage something like an expertise that comes from writing a book, um, comes with this unique message or positioning that you create when you are uh, preparing to share your message to the world. Because thought leaders do need to make a living. Having good ideas is one thing, but making a living from it is is another. So what are some ways in which people who are leaders can do that? Yeah, I work with a lot of authors who basically have had the realization, they've written great books, but then they've had the realization that a book is not a business model. And they're like, okay, what's my business now? Please help. The good news is, yeah, I, mean, I think everyone already knows it's great for authority, great for starting to establish your position and brand. And it can be a great way to start attracting people who can sign up for your email newsletter. So it's kind of like at the front of everything, a book is, is one great way to start gaining the attention of people. But to go to your question of, of monetary, of monetization of your knowledge, that's where, you know, going back to what I said about signature process, if your book is like that overview of the signature process, your, your product is how somebody actually goes through an experience to implement that signature process in their life. I think we all know like somebody will read a book, they'll get a few things out of it, they'll apply it and or the very thing, at least they might be inspired for a while. But, you know, people will still gladly buy a, a course or some consulting or something given the opportunity, even if they have read the book, because they know that when it comes down to it, to really integrate and implement something, you need more support than just reading through a book. So you've got your signature process. It's actually relatively simple to come up with some kind of offer. And there are four pieces to a solid offer. Number one is who's the ideal customer. And you've probably already thought this through. It's similar to like, who's the ideal audience for this book? And so you know who you were trying to reach. You wrote that book with that in mind. Uh, you used certain language. You, you, you figured out what 
things you needed to address, what questions you needed to answer. And, you know, you've, hopefully you spent some good time figuring out like why somebody might pick up and read your book. And it's going to be very similar kind of thing. What outcomes do they want? What problems are they running into? Why haven't they gotten that outcome already? What is in, what's going on inside of their mind and their life right now? How can you best create, create value for them? So that's the ideal customer. The second piece of a good offer is the outcome or the promise. So that's where I, and I always encourage people to, you know, if you haven't done this with your book, do it now. And that is go have five conversations with people who are in your intended, you know, your ideal, who fit the description of your ideal customer and have some really good conversations. Don't say, hey, what do you think of if I were to create a course that, you know, just talk to them about what outcomes they're looking for when it comes to X, whatever your thing is, and determine what it is. You know, if you are a yoga instructor and you wrote some, uh, a book about yoga, and you know, maybe you find out it's like, oh, my approach to yoga is really good for flexibility and older people love that flex because it's going to help them not get injured as their bodies are getting older and not doing and they can stay more active and less injured, right? So that's one's very specific audience and outcome that, uh, that you could have in one particular topic. So once you know that ideal student and ideal outcome, that is the formula for, okay, now I know what kind of offer I need to put out there that will actually gain attention and people will be willing to like, oh, I think I need to invest time and money into this thing. Two more pieces you need. Number three, the process. We already talked about that. You have your, here are the milestones that take somebody from where they're at to where they're going. And then the little mini action steps that make up those milestones and the knowledge gaps that need to be filled. And, you know, here, here are some of the tools that I need to recommend so that you're in the right place to, to, to make all of this happen. And then that's the, the process to get them there. And then the, the last thing is the experience. This is where now you get to decide. And this, you know, this, is, this is where it can be fun. And I also, goes back to authenticity, pick something that fits you. What is, how will you guide somebody through the process? And there's a spectrum here. On the one end of the spectrum, you've got the one-to-one coaching, consulting, or maybe you know, you're showing up in the room and, and teaching people. It's, it's time intensive, it's energy intensive, but you're also offering, you're probably getting paid more and you're offering a much more nuanced version of your process for that person or that you know, small group. Other end of the spectrum is online courses, digital, do it yourself, where you can have the quintessential people buy it at 3 a.m. in the morning. You live on the other side of the world. They go through it themselves and hopefully get a good result from going through that infer, that information. And then there's everything in between where it could be group coaching, where there, there's digital information, but maybe there's also group uh, Q&A calls. And then maybe some people get one-on-one, some, a couple one-on-one calls with you if they pay extra, you know, we don't have time to go into all the permutations, but there are three questions to ask yourself around the experience. And that is number one, how do they access the information? So maybe you decide, yeah, there's going to be a digital library of information and that's going to be online in a service like you know, Teachable or, or something like that. Okay. Second question, how are they going to access and get support from you, if at all? And you might decide, no, that doesn't fit my lifestyle or my business goals. I don't, I, that's why I made it digital. I don't, they don't get access to me. Or you might decide, no, you know what? I do think it's good if people have at least some support and access. And there are a lot of wonderful ways that we can't go into today that you can add, you can actually offer some one-on-one support and access to you and have it not overtake your, your time and still get paid well for it. And people will pay well for access to you. Number three thing is how do they have access to each other? So other people who are buying your offer, your thing, they want to connect with other people who are going through the same curriculum and process or you know, the same, who have this, you know, similar, it normalizes it for them. And they have the same, these other people have the same struggles and are running into some of the same questions. So that's where you see people who launch courses with Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups or a Slack channel that everybody's in or that, that kind of thing. So how do they access the information? How do they access and get support from you? And how do they access and get support from each other? 
And by answering or tweaking those three variables, that's how you come up with some kind of offer. Again, on the one end, it could be digital course. It could be some kind of online group program. Or even if it is coming up with like just saying, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a really good coaching offer here. You can use the same formula there. But that's that's what I use with my clients, informed by, again, talking to people in their market in order to come up with a good offer that they can build on from the stuff in their book and now have something that people will pay 50, 100, 500, $3,000 for. And now you do have a business model. Right. That's so great. We had uh, Ryan Levesque here on this podcast as well. And he talked about his new book, Choose, which I told him that I'm glad he wrote it because I wasn't a big fan of Ask because it didn't make sense when I was trying to start out because asking the question didn't help me because he, he said, choose who you want to serve first. And that's why that book meant so much uh, to me now. And yeah. a lot of the way you figure that out is you figure out, not only do you, you start with, like, as you said, who do you want to serve, which is exactly what I needed to do, and then find out from them how you can serve them best. Mm-hmm. And so it's really great. So let's imagine, uh, let's walk through a scenario of somebody who helps so that people can have a practical sense of somebody who came to you was like, hey, I have a book uh, or something like a book. I'd like to become more known or start to build, to monetize my thoughts. What was like, what was their path and help us understand how that shifted once they kind of applied some of this teaching to the idea of a book or something like that becoming more of a business? Yeah. So I'll give an example of a, of a client. He's a He's in academia. He does teaching at a MBA school, but he's written two books and they're both founded on some really good research principles. One of them is about coming out of your comfort zone, which we all hear. It's like, get out of your comfort zone. But he actually went and looked at like, what does that mean? What does it look like in practice? Why is it so hard? How do we make it less hard? So it's some really interesting stuff. And he was teaching these as classes at the MBA school. He's like, you know what? I want to reach more people. So he wrote a book. That was a natural thing to do that, you know, now he is going to reach more people with that. But you know, he wanted to create some new income streams. And that's when he got referred to me to help him put together an online course. And so in his case, what we ended up doing was, you know, because he'd already been teaching this stuff for a while, like he really understood the student, he students, he knew the questions that always came up. He'd already tweaked the curriculum. So that was nice. You know, that's not always that way. Sometimes it's coaches and consultants coming to me and like, they're good at what they do, but they haven't really taken the time to like, break down and formalize what is my process? Like, okay, how do I get results for people? So, you know, there's, there's a, a, a variation there and in, in where people are at when they show up to work on this type of thing. So, you know, I'm looking at, okay, how clear are they on who the target audience is? How well do they understand that target audience? What are we working with here in terms of their process already? Have they written a book? Are they already actively doing, you know, consulting and, and coaching? And then we, in his case, we, we had him go record some, some videos I usually what I do with people is I have them launch some kind of beta thing and get it out to the market quickly and just see if they can get a handful of people to buy something for very low risk, very low cost. Don't even put something fancy together. That's usually what I would have people to do at that moment. And I've, I've sold beta courses for $3,000 that basically consisted of Zoom calls and files put on a Google Drive folder and shared with them. But it got them the results they were looking for. Then I can turn that into a, you know, a more formal online offer of some sort. And so in his case, though, we did go directly to a bank of videos organized as, as modules. And this is the kind of thing that now he is talking to companies and saying, going to companies and saying, I'll sell you 30 seats in my online course because I know you need training in such and such. And I've got it over here. And you're not, you know, you, I know you're looking for, because companies are always looking for that kind of, they don't necessarily have it all internally. They're always looking for stuff to help their people be better. 
So he has a new income stream. And not, not only that, but one that like he can hopefully get some big paydays uh, at times where he can, again, a company might buy multiple seats of that thing. So is that, is that kind of answer the question? Is that kind of what you yeah, for as an example that, like that? That's really helpful. And I think authors, myself included, had made the mistake of thinking, I have to build the entire course before I sell it. And even against Pat Flynn's advice, I thought, no, no, I'll think I'll build it first to make sure. And what I ended up building was too much. It was too much content because for writing, the biggest hurdle isn't how do I get words on a page? It seems like that would be the best thing. But the thing they need most is confidence that they can do this, that their message matters, that they have something to say, that uh, they have the right idea, that they think they can finish, that they won't get bad reviews. And none of that has to do with writing. So I realized that I teach mainly the principles behind becoming seen, being a leader, more so than just being someone, how do you write a book? Because you don't need me. You could Google that. You could watch YouTube videos on how to write a book. If it was how that we're missing, the 81% of Americans who say they want to write a book, only 3% ever do, according to the New York Times. And it's not because they don't know how. They just don't believe that maybe their message is valuable. So I realized that my signature process has a great deal to do with teaching that first before I ever let them put a word on a page. Right. See, that's such a great example. I love that you brought that up because it's, it'd be easy to say, oh yeah, as well, he, you know, the outcome is you, you get a book. And of course, that's what they ultimately want. But you've realized it's like, actually the transformation and the outcomes are something else. And once you realize that, I'm sure it makes it easier then to stand out in the marketplace, but then also have messaging that's very, very resonant to people who are struggling. Like, man, I've been trying to write a book for a while and it's just not happening. Why? And then here you show up and like, okay, well, here's some thoughts about why that hasn't happened yet. And I've got a way to help you make it happen. I mean, that's how we, I had Pat Flynn uh, as a client for helping him write his book, Will It Fly, was because he had been trying for a while and wanted to, but just couldn't get over the fact that he had so much to think about, so much he could write about. How does he choose which thing he writes about? And I talk about that writing a book can take two forms. You can write a transformational book or a transactional. A transactional book is, I know lots of stuff. Here's how you do it. And here's how you get success from doing it. Or if you're going to be a leader, more than likely you're writing a transformational book, which means you're hoping for a transformation for the reader on the other side. The biggest mistake I notice that people make when they're doing this thought leadership style book is that they don't ever think about the transformation needs to happen for the author first. Ah, yeah. And so they miss the point. And the transformation within is the most important part. And if they're writing about what they know and not who they are, where they're showing up now in something new, then more than likely they're regurgitating content and will play it safe and not have a transformation. So if the author doesn't transform, the reader can't transform. There's no way. It's just a transactional thing. So that's Love the it. huge shift in that, that signature process is, well, how do I know what's transformational for me? How do I know mm. what edge I should play in order to write a book about something I'm just stepping into? And so many people lack confidence about writing what they know even, let alone writing about, well, how do I write about something I'm not certain is right yet? I'm mm. like, yes, that's transformational because you're saying, wow, I have this idea. I've been thinking about it. I've been playing with it. And I think it could really help and here's what I've come to understand now. And the other piece about our program is that most people look for big ideas. What's the next big idea? I'm so tired of the number of books that have the word F you or F that. It's just becoming ridiculous. Not that it wasn't a bad idea to start with, but the idea is the big idea is the small idea that everyone else looked over, but you noticed and you said, huh, what's this? Mm -hmm. This is interesting. Mm -hmm. 
And it only becomes a big idea when more than one person talks about it. That's how big ideas happen. They're small ideas that lots of people talk about. And so that's the other thing we coach is like, stop trying to be the big idea person and look for the thing that no one else is noticing and then wonder and be curious about it and write through that set of transformation. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So if people, if you have one last piece of advice for anybody who's trying to show up as a thought leader, thought leader is sort of a big umbrella word for something. I always say, you know, to be able to have the power of a thought leader, which I think I would equate to influence. I said the influence comes from service. Well, Mm, what do you say is important about thought leaders that they should be thinking of right now as they're moving forward, like one big, big step forward? Well, you know, kind of going into the theme, what you're talking about is that there's this moment that not just a moment, but it's a process of transformation to kind of own this mantle of thought leadership, which is a a phrase that gets used and abused a lot, sadly. But I do think it's an important, we, we do need more leaders like that. And so I'll just share briefly you know, a bit of what drives my work. And that is that I believe, I mean, 20 years ago, it would have been big media news. You'd have to, you would have had to have access to very, to have your ideas out there. It's just a lot more difficult, right? And, you know, back in 2008, I had this mom from Austin, Texas, who had been put on bed rest twice and high-risk pregnancies. And she wanted to start a podcast to share her story. And sure enough, we did that. And she was six months later, hearing from women in Ireland and Australia and Oman and, you know, like, thanks so much for this information. Like this saved me, this helped me. So whereas 20 years ago, yeah, it would have been just, I don't know, the medical establishment who had been saying anything on the topic. And there's so many problems to solve in this world that we can't just rely on those big organizations to solve them for us. It's this groundswell of individuals. We each have our perspective, our story, our experience, our expertise, the combination of those things, the message we want to say. And going back to what I said at the beginning, you're uniquely positioned to serve some slice, some segment of the population in the world, people out there. And it's very, not only very fulfilling to do so, but it can also be very profitable to do so and opens up a whole world of uh, opportunities, control over your career. You know, people start just showing up to collaborate with you and give you resources and then you have a bigger impact. And so that's what I want to see for anybody. Clearly, we're on a podcast here that's full of people who want to do that, I would say, if they're writing or have written a book. And so I guess it'd just be a bit of uh, that insight and say, you know, go as big as you can. And there are wonderful tools online to do that. And uh, I understand that there's always, I, I deal with sometimes too, imposter syndrome, but you know, we, we push through because on the other side is somebody who really, really, really needs to hear what we have to say. Right. And and I'm reminded of the book, The Long Tail by Chris Anderson, who essentially said that, you know, with the shift in the digital world, that the industries that used to shoot for the middle, because there were only three networks, there's only everybody watched the same shows. The Long Tails allowed everyone to essentially have a success because big corporations need lots of money to make success. But you as an individual, you only need a small tribe of followers to be successful and produce wealth. For you and your family, and it serves them well. So I, I want to remind people that your your leadership matters. That you showing up in the world, you don't need millions of downloads to do it, but you do need the clear message that it takes to stand up. Jason, this has been so exciting. I think so many people are going to want to know a little bit more about your work. Where would we send them to to learn about you? Yeah, absolutely. So of course you can go to my website, jasonvanorden.com, and either sign up for my newsletter there or click on the podcast link and start listening to my uh, start listening to my podcast. 
if uh, the ideas that have resonated with you here today, if you want to go deeper and start implementing them, I want to mention, I have a little mini site set up. If you go to leanlaunchmethod.download, leanlaunchmethod.download, that goes into deeper this, this idea of how do you come up, put together an offer from your book or your, your idea. And it goes more into that ideal student outcome, the process, the experience, and, and how you could get a beta course. I, I mentioned very briefly that that's something I recommend. And it goes through that methodology of uh, getting a beta course out there quickly, which is something I think a lot of people listening to this might be contemplating. And I would encourage them, encourage them to do that. And just to whet your appetite a bit, I mean, the case study in there is it was a brand new course, small list. I had the idea within three weeks, I had it to market and it uh, generated $15,000 and a whole lot of testimonials and proof and, you know, things like that. So even if you have a fraction of that success, it's going to be very validating and move your work in the right direction. That's awesome. And the podcast is called Impact. Jason, thank you so much for being here. We're always grateful when our guests show up and give lots of value. And we look forward to maybe having you on again in the future. Yeah. Thanks, Azul. Awesome. Thank you for listening again to another episode of Authors Who Lead. We appreciate you being here and we hope you subscribe so you get this delivered to your device every week. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps. And if you have a book in your heart, you've been wanting to write a book, please go to authorswholead.com and join us on this journey of becoming a published author.